0: I don't know what kind of parties or social events you go to, but depending on the type, you may have people walking around with snails that are drenched in butter and garlic that they're trying to feed you. Or you may have little hot dogs drenched in red sauce with toothpicks sticking out of them. One of those is supposed to be high class and one not so much. I'm really not sure which still. I'm still trying to figure out the difference of those two. But those would be called appetizers. And the reason I'm bringing up snails and little hot dogs is this is going to be a little appetizer sermon that is Galatians 6, verse 6, and then the rest of the sermon is kind of coming in a a short while. So turn to Galatians, and and we're going to look at this one verse. This is a little, when you break up a book of the Bible, uh, sometimes you get like a little hanging chad that you don't know quite where to put it, and this was one of those that I I wanted to bring up and talk about, but it doesn't stand on its own. So verse, verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6 is talking about It starts to bring up the ideas of of money uh, and pastors and church. Now, I don't know what your immediate kind of gut-level reaction to that is, but chances are you have an an immediate response when you think of money and churches. And probably it's tied to your past experience. Maybe you have a really healthy picture of that. Maybe you have a not-so-healthy picture of it. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. So verse 6 says this. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches now i used to work at a bank working as a bank teller put me through bible college and we got a new employee one time and i was there and she was kind of getting shown around and whatnot so we're sitting there on the on the teller line and she says she says so what what do you do i said well i'm a student she goes oh what do you study i said i'm studying to be a pastor and without missing a beat she goes oh there's good money in that huh and you know how sometimes you think of a killer thing to say like 20 minutes later? This time, God's like, right now, you're going to get it. And so without missing a beat, I said, not if you're doing it right. And she goes, oh. And it was really like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, there's good money in being a pastor? And so I actually got talking to her about her church and stuff. And her pastor had a front row reserve parking spot. Uh, he drove a, an exceptionally nice car. I mean, just these different things. I thought, OK, well, that's. That's where her her perception of of being a pastor. I thought, what a terrible thing! Like to think, oh, good, you're going in for the money. Here's the basic principle. If you want to write down the principle that Paul is teaching, is this? Here's the principle that those who are taught the word should help support their teacher. The word here is is kind of the same root word that's used for fellowship. Should share all good things. It's the idea of share. Uh, It's not so much payment, which would be contractual, right? You pay someone to lay tile in your kitchen, and you expect it to be done a certain way, and there's a very contractual feel to that. This is the idea of share, that there's fellowship, that there's relationship. It's actually a really rich Christian word and Christian concept that's being brought about here. Now, two extremes of this are that some people are embarrassed to talk about this. They're embarrassed to even mention it for fear of, well, people are going to think that all we ever do is talk about money, this church. And so they don't mention it. So they're embarrassed by it. The other extreme is that people flaunt this and they talk about it a lot and they kind of go uh, skewing off in that direction. What Paul does here in Galatians is kind of interesting because he's going to talk about this in one verse and then kind of move into this whole notion of sowing and reaping, which is verses 7 through 10. And it's not the first place that he ties financial teaching with sowing and reaping. By the way, we are... Modern suburbanites. So when I say sowing and reaping, here's what I'm talking about planting seeds and harvesting produce. Okay, I just, otherwise you're like the grim reaper, like, I don't even get that. Sowing, so planting and harvesting. I'm going to say sowing and reaping a whole bunch, and we just have to kind of get our heads around that because that's not everyday language for us. Just jot down 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11, here's what he says He's talking to a pretty messed up church, which happens when sinners get together and do life together and they're saved, but they're still struggling and wrestling through. We can identify with that, right? He's right in this church that has some knots to untangle. And one of the things he says is this. He says, "If if we have sown spiritual things among you, if we have planted spiritual things among you, he says, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he's saying, we've planted spiritual. Is it too much that we gain material things from you? And then he says a few verses later, he says, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So that's his teaching elsewhere on it. Jesus, in Luke 10, you can write down Luke 10, 7 if you'd like, but in, in Luke 10, Jesus is sending out 70 disciples, and he's sending them basically on kind of a mission trip. He sends them out in pairs, and he's teaching them how they should go. What he doesn't say is, store up for yourself every last thing you're going to need so there's no faith involved. Instead, he says this. Actually, I'm sending you out. Don't even bring any of that stuff with you. You watch and be amazed that God is just going to provide for you as you go. And as you go, when someone receives you in their house, accept it. And then he says this. For the laborer deserves his wages. Now, this is the appetizer, so we're not going to go too long on this. But let me just share with you two kind of common abuses with this whole notion of sharing material things with those who are sharing spiritually with you. The first is is pastoral abuse. This is where the pastor would abuse this right that he's been given in scripture. And so he actually abuses the congregation with it. Martin Luther, a guy who lived a long time ago, started the Reformation, may have heard of him, He says this, he saw that the Roman Catholic priests were very, very wealthy, that money was pouring in, and he said this, he said, by this excessive liberality of men, the covetousness of the clergy did increase. As the money poured in, the temptation to covet, the temptation to make it all about money grew with it. Doesn't that just make sense? Yeah, we see that. Here's what's interesting. We haven't outgrown this. We haven't solved this one yet. Isn't it true that you still see this? Where where money is pouring in, corruption is, is soon to follow many times. This comes from wicked hearts that grow proud. God opens the door, calls people to be a shepherd, and instead of serving the sheep, it becomes about serving the shepherd. One of the abuses, one of the ways that pastors abuse is this. They, they do teaching, they do their lifestyle, and they, they have God on their side. I mean, they're the pastor. So they just kind of attach God onto stuff. And here's the, here's the catch-22 that the congregation can be in. They are commanded by Scripture to, to obey their leaders, to follow their leaders, to submit to their leaders. That's all scriptural. We've talked about that a lot in here. However, if you aren't thinking, if you aren't having your Scriptures open as we're dialoguing even on a Sunday, then what can happen is we go, well, the pastor said... The pastor attached God to it. Who am I to argue with the pastor and God, his boss, right? I can't can't do that, so I guess we'll just kind of go along with it. And so pastors can begin to abuse the congregation in that. There's a lot of different examples of abusive shepherds. And maybe in this room, there are some people here who are looking at me, and you have an instinctual distrust for me because like a person who's flinched from someone abusing them, you've been abused by an abusive shepherd. Again, you don't need to turn there, but, but jot down Titus 1. Titus 1.10, because you aren't looking at it, listen really, really carefully. Titus 1.10. For there are many, Paul's warning, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Teaching for shameful gain. So one of the ways that a pastor can abuse the congregation is to take this God-given role of being a shepherd and using that for his own comfort, for his own whatever. And it's not just financial Here's one of the ways that, that congregations can can be used by their church leaders. sometimes uh, the pastorate is used to fill a significance role, an identity role. I, I like the importance right now you're all looking at me and that feeds some some deep place in me. isn't it easy to see how that could start I could start to use you for that so significance. And, um, and I, uh, identity, um, approval, right? I mean, on and on this could go. It could be financial, but it could be relational. Well, all of a sudden, I enjoy that you're calling me the pastor, that you need me the pastor, that you're seeking my advice. I'll tell you what stayed with me in Bible college one time. We had a, a teacher that brought in just local pastors, and one of the pastors that shared with us had just lost his family due to ministry. And he basically just shared how he got deceived and he got skewed off the path. And all of a sudden, he began to love that feeling of being needed. And he absorbed that at work. There's a never-ending supply of needs in the world, right? To the neglect of his family. The, the, the family doesn't cheer you on when you do the dishes. You just do the dishes. There's more dishes coming where those came from, right? But, but thanks for meeting with us, Pastor. Pastor for serving us this way. You're such a man of God, this, that, and the other thing. And, and I, that stayed with me because I said, God, if I'm ever going to lose my family, I'm a knucklehead. I get it. I could skew off. Stop me from being a pastor. Don't let me go that route. Don't let me use the congregation in that way. So financial is, is one way, but there's all kinds of other abuses that could go on. There's a second kind, and that's congregational abuse. This is where the congregation abuses the pastor. I want you to imagine for a second if a family got a new dad every two years. How healthy would the family be? Be miserable. I don't know what the current stats are, and stats are kind of weird. They they tell different things. But the general landscape of American churches is that they get a new pastor every few years. And over and over and over, it looks a little bit like major league sports, where coaches stick around for a few years and then there's not a good enough winning season, or we're not getting far enough in the playoffs, we've got to shake something up, so on we go. And there's this cycle going on, and, and you just look at that and say, well, no wonder churches are just kind of floundering with that. If there is pastor after pastor after pastor that you, that we as a congregation were just churning through pastor after pastor after pastor, Think about it in a dating relationship or a marriage thing. If, you're, if you've been divorced eight times on the eighth one, at some point you look in the mirror and you think this. Maybe, just maybe, it's me, right? Maybe there's something that needs to change with me. So congregations that just churn pastor after pastor and you hear the story, well, that guy this and that guy that and that person's wife was this. and that. F-. At some point, a congregation has to look in the mirror and just say, wow, what, what are we doing? What sin is in the camp that we're doing this? So there's congregational abuse that way. Here's another thing: is that um, pastors sometimes can be taken advantage of by churches uh, because pastors don't have agents. I've always thought we need like sports agents, you know, uh, because a lot of pastors they're not business whiz. They're, they're not in there to like get the get the bottom dollar and all of that. And so sometimes congregations can actually, and again, that could work two ways. I understand that, but oftentimes that's. That's the last thing that the that the pastor even you know wants to get into the nitty gritty, and it'll look like he's not living by faith if he's if he's expressing his needs and these kind of things. So there's some there's some there's some tension there. Uh, sometimes the congregation can actually um, t- uh, tempt the pastor um, to to preach and to speak to kind of tickling ears, because because the, the congregation. Think about this. The congregation is helping to support or is solely supporting that person's family. And so, is it right for the pastor to give in and only preach part of the counsel of God's will so he doesn't get fired? No. That's on the pastor. But can congregations contribute to adding to that temptation? Absolutely. Now, I want to say here's what's beautiful about going through the book of the Bible, by the way. Um, I don't feel any of this tension right now. I prayed last service, and, and I'll, I'll say it again publicly. God if there is pastoral abuse going on, if there's congregational abuse, you root it out, Holy Spirit, and we'll confess of it, and we'll, and we'll turn from that. But it's great to go through a book of the Bible because this stuff just comes up uh, in, the, in the course of the context rather than just coming up uh, when, when things are bad. I had a family member invite me to their church. They were so excited about their church, and I'm usually busy on Sundays, so I don't get around to a lot of churches, but I was on vacation, and I finally went to their church, and I sat down, and as soon as the worship was over... Uh, One of the elders gets up and he says, we have an announcement to make. And the way he said it, he wasn't talking about a bake sale or a youth fundraiser or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, You just thought, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to go good. On that Sunday, he got up and announced that the worship pastor had run off with the church secretary. And that's exactly, it was gasped all around this giant church. (laughs) And my family member's like, and of all the Sundays... They're like, it's normally not like this. I'm like, well, I hope not. I hope that's not a weekly, you know. Uh, that would be an interesting church, I guess. But, but often we talk about church leaders and, and money and, and kind of this whole thing when things go way off the rails, right? And actually it was very informative. The way that church handled it was so scriptural. It was so dependent on the Holy Spirit. It was so repentant. It was actually very inform. It was, it was way more informational than probably an, an average Sunday that, that it could have gone on. I still see that church periodically when I'm on vacation. I pray for that church, and they're doing great, by the way. Here we get to talk about money and pastors and church leadership and all that kind of stuff when, when, that's, when that's not going on. By the way, a couple more thoughts on this. But before we move on, I just want to share this. We, when we started this church seven years ago, we, we, we really fought hard to not even use the term pastor. We see one office in, in scripture that typically is identified with a pastor and that's the idea of a shepherd elder. And th- those are two really, really common biblical terms and it's, and it's not an office of elders. Sometimes churches break out this way in the West. Elders who are business minded and run the business side of church and pastors who actually pray and read the Bible and tear up and share with people and preach. And what, what we see is we go, no, that, that's, not, that's nowhere in scripture. What we see is, Pastor, elder, shepherds who are all supposed to be qualified and able to teach, all supposed to be able to, to re- refute false doctrine, who are all supposed to be committed to, to the word, who are all supposed to be praying and devoting themselves to the flock. So I just want to let you know Neighborhood Bible Church has two paid pastors, Ben, a really tall guy who was just sitting here, and myself. And then we have four unpaid what might be called tent making, which I'll explain that in a second. That's Christianese, but tent making pastor elders. And here's one of the beautiful things. We have a team of leaders who all are biblically qualified to be pastor, shepherd, elders. By the way, part of why we stuck with a pastor is this, especially to someone new to church They don't understand the term outside of pastor sometimes, and so so it's it's easier to to do that than say I'm a shepherd elder. I'm like oh, uh, thank you, you know, take your business card back. We don't want to deal with that. But all the time they'll say, hey, is the pastor around? We don't have pastors. We have shepherd. You know, we just we thought let's chill on that a little bit and just go with it. Right? We happen to have one that's a fireman, and his schedule allows for time to be open. So he'll call me sometimes. Say, hey, I'm I'm not working again until Thursday. So I'm here if you need me. And so. As I get needs and whatnot, it's not all on just the two paid guys. I'll call up and say, hey, uh, Jim, there's a need in the neighborhood. There's a person that needs to be met. Can you go meet with that person? Or, hey, I'm going to go do this. Why don't you come with me? And so I I just wanted to share with you what we have. So we've talked about abuses. Enough about abuse. Let's go safeguards. Safeguards for sheep and shepherd. Don't you see how if you plant seeds to the flesh, which we're going to get to in a second, you end up with corrupt relationships? We've been talking about walking by the Spirit, and that gives us a new view of ourselves. gives us a new way to be able to relate to each other. and actually gives us a new way to share money even. The whole idea of a love offering, of a voluntary thing, rather than a contract. And so here are some safeguards for, for the shepherd not abusing the sheep and the sheep collectively not abusing the shepherd. Number one is to learn from the chief shepherd. Listen to John 10. I am the good shepherd, Jesus talking, senior pastor of Neighborhood Bible Church. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13 says this, He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. It is instructive that the role of leader in a church setting is a shepherd. And that Jesus calls himself a shepherd. You as a congregation ought to see in the life of Ben, and myself, and Gria and Chuck, and Cal and Jim, you ought to see glimpses and growth toward the good shepherd. Don't you see that the good shepherd's life was marked by sacrifice? When danger comes, it's not... Peace out. Good. Hope you guys are good. I'm out of here. It's laying down the life for the sheep. So that's marked by, by sacrifice. The idea of care, sheep interest versus self interest. In the Old Testament, the leaders, the leaders of the people of Israel were, were severely reprimanded by God because he was saying, while the sheep starve, you fatten yourself up. While the sheep are in danger, you live in comfort. And the same temptation, the same reality is present today. I pray that you would look at our lives. I pray that you would pray for us. I pray that you would hold us accountable. We see in Scripture how pastors, shepherds, elders are to function. If you ever leave here, don't go place yourself under knucklehead, flesh-driven leaders. Look to the Scripture Have your head engaged and say, no, we've been shown a model of what it looks like. Finally, knowledge. Uh, It's not just crowd-seeking. Some pastors, some church leaders are about the crowd and all that. It's about knowing people's names. It's about knowledge of individual sheep. Elsewhere, it says that that Jesus calls the sheep by name. They follow his voice because they know him and he knows them. Now, we're not that big of a church, uh, so it would be kind of weird if I didn't know any of your names. But even as you scale this bigger and bigger, the, the shepherds, as someone in this room right now puts it, ought to reek of sheep. They ought to just stink like sheep because they're with the sheep and they know them and they're around them a lot. These are the things that we see. Secondly is this. Here's the second safeguard. Um, read and submit to the Bible. How straightforward is that, right? That's on you as much as it is on us. Do you know that elders are going to be held to account of how we shepherded the church? That's a really heavy thing to to bear in mind, that we're going to be held to account of how we shepherded the flock of God, the household of God. It's also on you, though, to be engaged in this process. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. couple things in here. Let the elders who rule well. The idea that they rule well would indicate that there's review, that there's accountability, that there's evaluation, right? It's not just you're in, and now you're in for life, and so take it easy the rest of the time. There ought to be evaluation there. It's just good stewardship. If you are giving money and entrusting it to the church leadership and the church leadership has decided two of the guys here are going to be relieved of a secular job so they can pour themselves into the ministry of the word and the flock. You ought to have confidence to say they're being evaluated. They're being held accountable to that so that we know that we're being good stewards not only of God's money but of people and gifts and other resources. I've been in the difficult position of letting a person go who was not gifted properly in the area that he held. And so it was a misuse of funds to continue to fund him full time to be in a spot that wasn't his gifting and it wasn't good for the church or for him and his family. That has to do with evaluation. When it says especially those who labor in preaching, the the Greek word for labor there is strong and it indicates toil, that of a laboring man. The preacher must not shirk the hard work of throwing himself into the task of studying God's word. I think much of the anemic preaching in America today is the fact that people aren't doing that. I had a young guy come to me recently. He's a young pastor, and he said, do you buy your sermons? And I said, "Uh, no, I don't. And he said, well, I serve at a church where our senior pastor buys his sermons online. And I'm wondering if that's a deal breaker for me to, to serve at that church or not. And I thought, I don't want to live your life for you, but for me, if I'm sitting under a guy who's like that, I said, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, I see just the opposite. If he's not wrestling and toiling and doing the hard work of digging out truths of Scripture, letting it soak into his own life, preaching it to himself first, wrangling through the implications... But rather just purchasing off the internet. <laughs> I don't know what else he's doing, but we have indication uh, in the book of Acts where, remember, they were serving at the tables and they needed help with all the good works because what they had to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So we're to be laboring now. When he talks about a, uh, a, a muzzling an ox, that's not a very flattering comparison for preachers. Okay, it's just not. It's not that glamorous. But you imagine an ox just trudging along working. Let him have a few bites here and there. He shouldn't go starving while he's doing the hard work of that. If anyone ever gets into preaching or pastoring because they think it's a cush job because you don't have uh, blisters on your your fingertips, again, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So these are some of the things that, that we can see. One last word on it. Paul, after teaching in 1 Corinthians 9... That it's a right of the minister to make his living from it forfeits his right to make a living from it. He was a tent maker. That is, in the Greek, a maker of tents. (laughs) I think. I didn't look it up. But that's got to be what it is, right? So in Christian lingo, if you're new to the program, here's what you'll hear. Oh, our pastor is a tent making pastor. Huh? That just means he's got a secular job. He doesn't take a a salary from, from the church. Paul did this because of this. He wanted no barrier. He wanted to completely remove himself from the accusation of this. You're preaching for what you can get out of this. He said, I don't want to put any stumbling block between the gospel. Although I have a right, because I proclaim the gospel, to make my living from the gospel, I'm excusing that right. I'm giving that right away so that you can be absolutely clear. So anyone who ever preaches or accuses me of that, I can say that's not true because I don't take a salary from that. In particularly certain parts of America, let me give you an example, the Ninth Ward District of New Orleans. Maybe pastors around the world ought to, in different seasons of time, pursue Paul's method more and more if getting a salary is getting in the way of hearing the gospel from the unsaved people. What happened in the Ninth Ward District of New Orleans was this. There were something like a hundred, I talked to the people when I was there, 123 churches, I think, in this one district, pre-Katrina. Katrina rolls through, and how many churches are left? What percentage of churches are left? Just guess. One, three, five percent. That's about right. I don't remember the exact numbers, but guess what? It's, it dwindled down to the single digits, probably. Why? The money left. There was nothing in it for people who were there for what they could get out of it. You know who remained? The Christians. The ones who were there. The good shepherds who were mimicking Jesus stayed there and laid their lives down to to rebuild the neighborhood. They didn't take off. That's an example. Maybe in certain parts of the world, especially where there's a hindrance, where it looks an awful lot like that guy's got nicer rings and a sweeter suit than I do, that there ought to be more giving up of the right for the sake of the gospel to be heard. All right. That's the appetizer. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping, um, by the way, is planting and harvesting. I'm a suburban kid, never grew up on a farm, so we just have to get that straight. Sowing, reaping, okay? I always think grim reaper. It's totally different, okay? Sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, verse 7. Follow along with me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith." Just a couple of opening comments. Verse 7, it's possible to be deceived. Anytime there's instruction about don't be deceived, what does that mean? It means be on guard about that. Don't let your hearts wander here. Verse 7, no one makes a fool of God. Verse 7, these are God's laws. These laws apply to everyone. Verse 8, there's negative consequences, there's positive consequences, and harvesting is a certainty. Verse 9, endurance is essential. Quitting is a real temptation. And verse 10, opportunities are to be seized, and you should start with those who are closest to you. What's at stake here, what's being talked about, is the idea of Christian holiness. And a lot of times, I think we can feel like helpless victims as to why we're not growing in our walk or as to why we're not more holy. Don't you ever get frustrated reading back old journals or seeing an old picture of you on a mission trip or something something in a different season of your life, and you think, I've been walking with Christ a long time. Why do I still struggle with this temptation? I I just imagine myself further along at this point than, than I did over here. Here's a subtle temptation is to is to kind of fall into the idea that well it's, it's mostly my upbringing or it's or it's my nature or it's my experiences I've had or it's my t- my my temperament that I have or whatever it is all of those play a role in that but i think to to hang our hat on saying ah, that that's why i've not grown is such a is such a lie verse 5 of Galatians Paul is talking as he's encouraging us to walk by the spirit. Remember that walk by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. And now we're being told to plant to sow to the spirit. Holiness is a harvest and it depends on when and where you plant to see what you will grow. Here's the interesting thing. The title this morning always growing You are always growing because you are always sowing. You are always casting seed either to the flesh or to the spirit. And so you are always growing. It doesn't, we we think in our minds that we're stagnant sometimes. But we're not stagnant. We're actually growing a harvest. It's just a matter of time to see where we've been planting. How much, what, what? And when it will ripen all depends on something called the laws of the harvest. Now, the laws of the harvest um, are, are these, these laws that a friend of mine um, taught, taught on years ago. And he's a guy who's actually driven a tractor and worked a farm. Um, I sat on a tractor once at Happy Hollow. So I thought, he probably knows more about sowing and reaping than I do. So I'm just going to give these to you straight across. Here's what's interesting about these laws, is that these laws of the harvest apply to almost all aspects of life. I want, as we go through these, I want you to think about God. I want you to think about your relationships with family and friends. I want you to think about your work and career. I want you to think about your character. I want you to think about economics, like your money. And I want you to think about about your education. So you can lay all of those layers over these laws of the harvest. What's, What's great about the Bible is this. The Bible is only teaching and upholding what we all experience in life. I'm going to share these with you, and you're going to go, yep, uh uh-huh, yes. Because life just bears out the truth of this passage. Here's number one. Number one is this. We reap only what has been sown. We reap only what has been sown. Jeremiah 19.4 says this. This is a negative example. Because the people have forsaken me, and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods. He says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter. This was planted in this season, and days are coming when this is going to be the result of it. We reap only what has been sown. Here's a positive example of it. Deuteronomy 28.1 And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Over and over in Scripture, as we see in life as well, uh, I have a planter box in our backyard. In different seasons, it has grown amazing basil and tomatoes and lettuce. You know what it grows right now? Very good. That's a, that's a future law. You guys, are, you guys are paying attention. It actually grows, grows mud pies. My kids go, get in there, and they make mud pies with it. They actually are in there enough, but there's no weeds. It's like free weeding. Weeding. Here's what's beautiful about the generous good God we have. Just write down Ephesians 1. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There's actually blessings that we harvest uh, that that come over and above what we we plant to. Uh, Number two is this, the second second one, if you're taking notes. We reap the same kind as we sow. Genesis 1.11 says this, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. We see this. You plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree, right? So you, you reap according to the same kind. How about spiritually? John 3, 6, Jesus said this, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Number three. We reap in a different season than we sow. We know this, but we're still shocked by it. What's this mess? What's all this stuff going on in my life? If we could just begin to track back and think, you know what? This didn't just happen overnight. We always reap in a different season than what we have planted to Right now, it's the fifth Sunday of the month, and every fifth Sunday of the month, the junior high and high school group go off-site to go do something together. Right now, our youth are down at St. James Park. They're serving some sandwiches and food um, to the large population of homeless people that, that congregate in St. James Park. Now, what's probably not going to happen is this. They are probably not going to offer a sandwich and then share the totality of the gospel and then plug that guy into a small group today, Right? That's probably, God could make that happen. But that would go against this law. In general, what's going to happen is this. Our students are are planting to the spirit. Now, it's possible to go down there and plant to the flesh, is it not? Isn't it possible to go down in the flesh and think to yourself, man, look at me. I'm doing some good stuff here. God, you're so lucky to have me on your team. Right? Right? But prayerfully, our students are going and they're learning this principle that Jesus taught. It's better to give than to receive. Give your life away. Lay it down. You're going to find it. Wouldn't it be cool if one of our students, when they're old like me in their 40s, and they say, you know what? I just was trained. I was just brought up in this culture, in this season. And we start to see some harvest from some of the things that are going on right now. How about in the people, the men and the women who are downtown at the park? You know what's cool about meeting people on the streets? I've never been mistaken for anything but a Christian, ever. I've had many, many, many people go, you're a Christian, aren't you? I'm not wearing a goofy Christian T-shirt. It's not a one-way sign. No, None of that. I've never, ever had someone think I'm something else than a Christian. That's a really good sign. That seed being planted, even a person recognizing, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? That's that's a seed that was planted in other seasons of time to associate with this. Uh, you could pray right now. If I get boring, you're like, if. If I get boring, you could pray right now. God, would you bless, would you water in a way that only you know how, to, would you water the souls and minds and hearts of people who are living on the streets right now that you created, that someone joyfully high-fived because they had a baby one day and they're a real person. Would you water that seed that's being planted? Would you take something as simple and silly as a PBJ sandwich and turn it into something that could actually have a spiritual harvest for eternity? That's a seed being planted that's going to harvest in a different season. Number four is this. Uh, We reap in proportion to what we sow. Luke 6.38 says this, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We see this in other places of Scripture as well, but if you, if you cast seed in a very stingy, small way, you're going you're gonna to grow up a, a little stingy, small garden. If you cast seed in a big, giant, generous way, God's going uh, to have room to grow that. We just see that in the laws of nature, in the laws of our gardening and, and, and whatnot, and we see that spiritually as well. Uh, Number five, we reap the full harvest of good only if we persevere. The evil comes to harvest on its own. Who mentioned weeds? Weeds are evil, right? Weeds come free of charge and free of work. They're just going to come and show up. The good harvest requires perseverance. That's what 6.9 of Galatians is talking about. If you need a living illustration of this, I want you to take a walk after church service to our back lot. In our back lot, we have a garden uh, that that we have been. There's been a lot of hours, prayer, effort, and work that's gone into that. And what's amazing is there's a there's a little plot of land that when I still walk out there, I talk to Clink and I say, Clink, what do you feel when you go and look at our garden? And there's just this mixture of like, oh, I I, I, I see it for so much more. There's so much more that 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 could be done. I also see specific names and faces that were helped by our community garden out there. I also think of the sweat and how much effort it took to get that garden going. There's a guy sitting in our midst right now that has spent countless hours killing weeds back there. And guess what? They're back, right? <laughs> the harvest is... is um, the good harvest takes perseverance to fulfill. Finally, number six... We can't do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about future harvests. Just write down Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13 says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if... In anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He closes with this. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Forget past sins. Forget past injustices and failures. In Christ, they are gone. We sing a Chris Tomlin song that says this. He redeems the wasted years. That's a good line. That's good news. In Christ, we're a new creation. So you can't go back and make up for bad harvest seasons of the past. You can change the future. You can partner with God in changing what's going to be harvested in this next season of life. So reach forward to what lies ahead. I want to close with this. I have notes under each one of those of negative and positive examples of each one of those principles. But, but instead of giving them to you, I just want to say this. If you read your Bible, literally spilling out of almost every single page are some of the principles that, 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 that we just looked at with sowing and reaping. As you read the histories in the Old Testament, as you see the, uh, the imperatives and the instruction in the New Testament, you see this played out over and over my question is this. What about us? How, how true is this idea of sowing and reaping in here? Rather than going to the scriptures, I hope you go to the scriptures and, and this begins to, to filter through how you think through scripture as you start to see some of the positive, positive and, and negative examples. But I wanted to close our time before, before the band comes up and does, uh, leads us in some more singing. I wanted to open up opportunity, um, for, for any of you in this room. To just share about, here's an instance where I planted sparingly, and in a different season I reaped, I harvested sparingly, and in that moment I looked back and thought, wow, I wished I had planted more. Or or or, or, or maybe you 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 planted in one kind of, of, of thing here, and for some reason you thought there was a different result coming. Um, I want to just I want to just open it up and, and see how life experience bears witness to what we just read in Galatians. This does not have to be a massive uh, outpouring. It doesn't have to be some super deep, insightful thing. I just want to hear some stories about, about how this these laws of sowing and reaping have played out in your life. could be anything from physical, educational, Financial, spiritual, relational. Anyone got anything? You didn't know you are going to have to work this morning, huh? You're like, we pay you. You're the pastor. You do the work. Uh-uh. I just taught on that. Rhonda, go. Don't you see that if we had time, we could just sit here and start letting our brains really linger over things? We have a lot of educators in our church and schools and exercise and the laws of the harvest. Finances are that way relationships are that way. Holiness is that way. So here's my question. Here's what I close with. Van, come on up. What do you want to harvest in the future? What kind of harvest do you want in the future? Here's the reality. A harvest is coming. That's a certainty. And right now, in the background, without us even thinking about it, there is growth happening. We are always growing. Because we're always sowing. We're always planting seeds. So Galatians 5, walk with the Spirit. Galatians 6, plant to the Spirit. Man, there's so much more. We're kind of glossing over this. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, by the way. There's so much here to digest and let the water of it kind of soak in and and think on and mull over. I hope you're in a community group. If you're not in a community group, you can't make it right now or one of them doesn't fit or you're not interested yet in getting that intense with people. I hope you take some of the questions on the back of the handout. I hope you just have your Bible open and say, God, teach me this. I I need to grow in this. My encouragement to you is this. It's, It's so empowering to know that not only is a harvest coming, but God will partner with me. I get to partner with God in changing the future of that in walking in those things. Let me pray. God, thank you for teaching us just by our physical world around us, things that are accessible to any person on the planet, whether they read or not, whether they speak the same language or not. You have shown us some things in creation that teach and that bear up the life experience that we have. God, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that collectively as a church, God, that we wouldn't be sowing to the flesh. God, if there's any abuse here, I don't sense there is. I'm so thankful for this congregation. But if there's any pastoral abuse or congregational abuse, God, you reveal it. You drum it up and you uh, help us to have the grace to confess and rid ourselves of that. I pray that collectively in this neighborhood, God, even this morning for our students as they're downtown, that we would be planting to the Spirit, that you would grow, that you'd send the rain, and that you would grow a good harvest in the future. God, help us to not give up. Help us to keep persevering in the good work, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How fitting. The second verse of this song.